Father, again, we know that what we have just saying is absolutely true. There is no one higher and no one greater than you. We know that since we were created, and since we fell into sin, and since we were displeasing to you and in rebelling against you, that there was actually no hope for us, except for the fact that you had mercy on us, that you loved us, and you sent your Son. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and became a sacrifice on our behalf. Father, we thank you that you, through your Spirit, drew us to yourself, that you opened our spiritual eyes so we could understand that we could receive the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Father, we thank you that through his sacrifice we have been forgiven, that we have been placed in the family of God, that we have the great privilege now to be able to communicate with you. And as such, we are able to not only praise your name and worship you, but we can pray for one another. Lord, I ask that as we look at Colossians chapter 1, at one of Paul's prayers for the people at Colossae, that you would help us to learn what a biblical prayer looks like. That you would refresh our praying, as it were. That we would see how vital it is, and we would have, as it were, the endurance to continue on praying biblical prayers for other believers. Guide us in this endeavor so that you might be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, let me read the text before we get into it. Again, this is Paul's prayer for the people there at Colossae. Again, this one and the one in Philippians, Paul's in uh, in prison. And so this makes more impact as far as the struggles he's having personally. And yet, look at what he says, verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. Again, this is Paul saying, this is what I've been praying for you and, and you can go through uh, many of Paul's epistles and, and he's telling the people, whoever he's writing to, that I'm praying for you. Paul was a man of prayer. <laughs> In First uh, Thessalonians, you don't have to turn there, but it says, verse 2, uh, we, thank, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And, and, and that's just basically praying for a church. Over in uh, 2 Timothy, we find also that Paul prays, but in this scenario, it's not for a church, it's for an individual. 
It's for Timothy, I thank God who I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. And I bring this up because, again, it gives us the standard of the fact that we pray for a group and we pray for individuals, but the point is, is as Paul says, I, you're always on my heart. I'm praying for you night and day. I'm, I'm concerned about your spiritual health. I'm concerned about you know, where you are walking with the Lord. And again, we bring that up because we are closing out Missions Month. And there's been a couple of things that we've wanted you to do specifically during this mission month. The first thing is, let's see if I got one, is to fill out a mission uh, faith promise slip. Again, if you go out there, I think it's either color or black and white, but the point is, is we need to know if you would like to invest in the mission program. And you say, why do you use the word investment? Because again, Corinthians talks about sowing and reaping. And reality is, whether you're giving to missions, whether you're giving to this church, whether you're also free will giving to other individuals, when you give to the Lord, it's an investment, right? Do you see it as an investment? I hope you do. I hope it's not like, oh, money, you're talking about money. I don't want to, you know, part with my money. No, no, it's an investment. By the way, you should look at the mission committee as investment managers. And periodically, you should ask your investment managers, how's my investment going? Right? There should be high-level accountability because it is an investment. So again, the first thing we ask you to do, and I preached a message three, four weeks ago, is to consider what would you, what would you be willing to invest in the mission program? I was told by Chris that actually very few people so far have filled out one of these faith promises. Now, being that I filled mine out one hour ago, we're all in the same boat. So I'm assuming you are all like, you know, just been waiting for this moment. The other thing that you can do is pray. And again, if if you go out there... um, the missionary prayer partners, and you'll see some white slips like this. The great thing is, is you can fill it out and then put this one on the board, which is the white one, and you keep the yellow one. Now, again, it's very, very important that we are praying for our missionaries. We're not advocating that you pray for every one of the 17 missionaries. But again, I would encourage you to pray for one or two or three. And you're saying, I'm going to commit to praying all year. Now again, you just have to fill it out. Make the commitment. If you find yourself waning, I would say that you would confess your sin to God because you made the commitment and then continue on. I'm saying, I mean, let's face it. uh, Many of us uh, find it difficult to consistently lift up an individual for an entire 365 days uh, consistently. But if you find yourself waning, ask God for strength. If you find yourself not doing it for a while, say, Lord, forgive me because I made a commitment. But I would strongly encourage you to fill out the, the prayer slip, make the commitment to pray. I was uh, reading, I've been reading quite a bit on prayer and, and actually um, doing the discipline of prayer. See, we can easily study about prayer. It's sometimes hard to do prayer. But I came across this very interesting comment, actually, it was a conclusion by uh, David Jeremiah. And many of you listen to David Jeremiah on the radio. But he said this, God does nothing in ministry apart from prayer. Quote, ministry at its core is spiritual work. Prayer is spiritual work. 
Regarding the essential role in ministry, he continues to write and says this, quote, I scoured the New Testament some time ago looking for things that God does in ministry that are not prompted by prayer. Do you know what I found? This is David Jeremiah writing. Do you know what I found? Nothing. I don't mean I had trouble finding an item or two. I mean I found nothing. Everything God does in the work of ministry, he does through prayer. Now think about that. When God uses people, when God uses you, when God uses you as you, as, as you are praying for others, all that is coming together so that God would be glorified, but that ministry would happen. That nothing happens outside of prayer. He went on, he says, prayer is the way, and he and gives uh, uh, verses, but we won't do that. Prayer is the way you defeat the devil. Prayer is the way that you that, uh, get the lost saved. Prayer is the way that you acquire wisdom, like out of James. Prayer is the way that, to get laborers out into the mission field. Sometimes we say, well, no one's going to the mission field. We need to pray. By the way, when you pray, someone else might go or might, God might call you. Prayer is how the sick is cured. A backslider slider is, gets restored. Prayer is how we accomplish the impossible. It's amazing that everything happens around prayer. And if Satan wants to destroy the church or at least weaken the church, what will he do? Think about this. What is the world trying to do? What is Satan and the demons trying to do? What is your own flesh working against? Focus prayer. Because that will weaken the church. If If we're not people of prayer, we will become very, very weak. Because everything God wants to do in your life, he is subjugated to one thing, prayer. He wants you to pray. One of the, reason, one of the things I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about when I speak on prayer is, one, I don't pray. I mean, let's say I walk away and my prayer life doesn't get uh, emboldened. And two, you, yours isn't. In other words, we study about prayer, we learn about prayer, but we don't really put our hearts to actually pray. It, it, wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't it be sad to learn something, know that God wants you to do it, know that's where the power is, know that's where God works, and yet just say, well, but I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I think, I, think, uh, I think Satan likes to keep Christians busy. Sometimes we get real busy. We get busy doing nothing. Get busy just wasting time. Get busy watching what the election results are. You know, who's winning in the polls? You know, what, where's the weather going? I'm not saying you never, you know, find out about any of that stuff. But, you know, we've been talking about this for a few months. We've got to make sure we understand where we're at spiritually. And by the way, I've been gaining victory in my own personal life. I want you to know that. From where I was like six months ago and where I am now, I've I've made progress. Praise God. I hope you have too. In fact, one of the things I've been trying to do is when I start getting anxious about the elections, I pray. Hey, I can't change it, but God can. So again, that's the importance of prayer. God does nothing outside of the realm of prayer. That's the importance of it. The second point is the passion of prayer. The passion. And what I mean by that is, what are we supposed to be praying for? What are we supposed to be praying for? I got a quote from a commentator, again, because he did his research, and he kind of like put it all together. I like when, when you have a seasoned pastor who puts a lot of information together and is able to come out with a statement. But he said this, quote, As in all his recorded prayers, he's talking about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle did not pray for physical needs or church growth. It was not that those things were unimportant to him, 
but that, spirit, but that spiritual issues were of supreme importance. He performed miracles of physical healing. You see that in Acts 14. He, Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. So, I mean, it's not like he was like opposed to the physical. It's just that the spiritual was of greater importance. The primary focus of Paul's prayers was on the spiritual welfare of others, end quote. Now, I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, I struggle in prayer. I think we all would probably all say, you know what, at times we find prayer very hard. And then I started wondering, you know, I wonder if we maybe are finding it so difficult because we actually pray for the wrong thing. Our minds and our hearts are on the wrong thing, and therefore it's just constant struggle because we're praying for the wrong thing. And therefore it doesn't feel or isn't satisfying. I don't know if this is the word. But the point is, we find it difficult. And then I went to our own prayer sheet. By the way, I, I really like the design of our own prayer sheet. But I started going through and I said, you know, let me just see how many times that we're praying for someone's physical versus spiritual need. Because if you go to Paul's prayer, he's talking spiritual. And again, at least half. By the way, am I advocating not to pray for a, a, a physical need? No, I'm not advocating that. But what I, what I believe we should do is this. Look at the physical need and then bring that into the spiritual realm. Do you see what I mean? In other words, sure, this person may have cancer. No, this person may end up dying very soon. But what is, am I, am I going to be uh, praying primarily that the cancer would go or that uh, they would not die within the next year? That's not the main point. What is the main point? that they would be spiritually strengthened, their eyes would be set on Christ, that they would see eternity, that they would be fruitful in their ministry, that they might have a deeper knowledge of God, that they would persevere through this trial without being depressed and without getting discouraged, right? You see how we bring... And I know, by the way, I've, I've listened to many of you pray, and that's what you do. You bring the physical. I mean, you go from the physical right into the spiritual. But that's what I think breathes new air into our spiritual lungs. They say prayer is like uh, spiritual breathing. <laughs> I think sometimes our breathing becomes um, sluggish. <laughs> I think sometimes we are almost like zapped of spiritual energy in our prayers because, again, we're focusing on the physical, and it needs to go from the physical to the spiritual. I think that will breathe new, fresh air into our spiritual lungs called prayer. Again, my biblical praying should not arise simply out of a sense of looking at this sheet in either guilt or duty. There should be an internal desire to pray for others. I, I believe that as, as a person gets saved, they're placed in the family of God, and there's a, therefore a, a desire to pray for others. Why? Because you're part of my family. But there needs to be that internal passion, that deep internal uh, inner desire for the glory of God and for the, for, the, uh, for the betterment, as it were, for the blessing of others. So I'm driven to prayer, and sometimes I'm driven to pray, but then as I'm praying, I, it almost feels like the wind is getting sucked out of my lungs because it's, oh, now it's physical again. Wait a second. Let's take the physical and bring it into the spiritual realm. Well, let's look at, that's the passion. The passion is, it's spiritual. And you see it very clearly in verses 9 through actually uh, verse 14. But we'll just look at verses 9, excuse me, 
9, 10, and 11, basically, in Colossians chapter 1. This is how Paul prayed. This was his focus. And, and he even starts in verse 3. Look at this. We give thanks to the, to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. There again, it's that consistency. Paul is consistently praying for this group. That's why I say, I strongly encourage you to sign up to pray for a missionary, maybe two, and then do it consistently. Ask God to give you a heart, an inner desire that is not out of guilt. It's not because, well, I need to pray for somebody. It's that you really... Say, you know what, there's an inner desire to, to see the blessing of God in, this, in these people's lives. So, let's look at the focus. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day that we heard it, do not cease. There again, it's that constancy right there. Do not cease to pray. And by the way, whenever we pray, that's selfless. And then he prays for something for them. I'm praying for you that that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. The first thing that I would want you to be praying for, this would be one of the things that Paul would want you to be praying for, for those in ministry, for our missionaries, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then he says, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's a controlling knowledge. In other words, Paul is praying for the people of Colossians at Colossae, that as they get understanding and knowledge, that it would control them. That word filled is, is the word uh, that means control. In other words, uh, in a positive sense, uh, Ephesians says, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word filled means, Paul's asking, uh, saying, it's a command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of God control you. That word filled can also be used in the negative. In um, Luke chapter 6, it says, The Pharisees were filled with rage when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Have you ever seen someone filled with rage? (laughs) Hopefully you're not around that type of person. Hopefully you're not married to that type of person. What do you mean? Filled with rage, man. It just controlled the Pharisees. So when Paul says, I'm praying for you, I'm praying that you would be filled, controlled, with the knowledge of his will. The story has been told of a South Sea Islander who proudly displayed his Bible to a GI during World War II. We've outgrown that sort of thing, the soldier said. The native smiled back. It's a good thing we haven't. If it weren't for that book, you'd been our meal by now. (laughs) See, what was happening? They went from being a cannibal to being a Christian. They were being controlled by God's will. Okay? They've been, they were being controlled. The word knowledge there is epigenosis. I say that because there's a prefix. It means there's an intense knowledge. The word knowledge means precise or correct. Or one of the com- old commentators said, a larger and fuller knowledge. Paul is praying that the 
people of of Colossae would have a larger and fuller knowledge of what God expects from his word. And you'd say, well, where does his, where does this knowledge come from? And again, it's the scriptures. So I should be praying for our missionary, missionaries, that they would be able to get into God's word, that they would be able to understand God's word, they would have a deep understanding of God's word, and it would control them. (laughs) By the way, the Gnostics, which is the group of uh, heretics that Paul is writing against in in this book, they thought that the knowledge came from within. Again, it doesn't come from within. It comes from the word of God. See, if it wasn't for, I mean, think about this, God, who was higher and greater, we just sang it last song, higher and greater. If he did not want to reveal himself to us, all he had to do is not, not send his spirit to write the book, and we would have no idea who he is. And yet God wants to be revealed, but he doesn't reveal himself in, from within. In other words, it doesn't come from just my own natural human state. It's an external, it's, it's externally found in, in God's word. So Paul obviously is talking about the word of God, that they would have a deep, precise, correct understanding, knowledge of what is found in the book. I mean, that's why for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, people have sought to teach people how to read so they could get into the book. I came up with some interesting statistics At the turn of the first millennia, 1000 AD, there was only 1 or 2% of Europe's population that could read. Think about that. You meet 100 people, only 1 or 2% of them could actually read anything. Now that increased quite dramatically during the Reformation. People were encouraged to read. And by the 1700s, Europe's literacy rate ranged from 30 to 40%. By 1800s, 1850s, it went up to about 55%. But a lot of the reason wasn't just for economics. They wanted their children to be able to get into this book. Why? Because to get into this book meant you could have the mind of Christ. You could understand what God expected. Something that simple we take for granted, isn't it? I mean, that's very profound and simple at the same time. Are you getting into God's word? Because that is where you find his will. So Paul says, I want you to be controlled by it. Not only in knowledge, but in all wisdom and understanding. Now, I think there's a three-part thinking here in Paul's mind. The idea of... Uh, knowledge is like foundational truth. Think of it as content. You've got to get the content. You've got to get the doctrines straight. You've got to get the understanding straight in the sense of the knowledge, the knowledge. But then he moves on in all wisdom. And I think he means by wisdom, he's talking about principles. You're taking the knowledge and now you're building principles that are coming from the knowledge. In other words, that's, principles are the things that you can apply, apply to many areas of life. So he says, I want them to be controlled by knowledge and by wisdom. Wisdom are, again, principles. It's the body of facts that are put into the absolute truths, the principles that we live by. It's not enough just to know the scriptures. It's not enough to be able to quote the scriptures. It's not enough to be able to take the test and get 100 on the theology exam. It's that God wants you to walk by the principles of scripture. So he mentions wisdom. 
Like I'll give you a principle of prophecy, a, pr- a principle that is found in prophecy. Like when we look at the prophecies of Scripture, you know what we find? God never lies. <laughs> and God is so powerful that he accomplishes his will. See, you, you study pr- a prophecy, and, you, yeah, you, and by the way, next week we get back into Daniel. But the point is that we start seeing God as big. He never lies. He always holds to the truth. He always accomplishes what he promises. He's big enough and he's strong enough to do that. He's all powerful. So you never read the word just for uh, knowledge's sake. And then finally, he goes from knowledge to wisdom to understanding, and that's the application. You may say, well, I thought wisdom was the application. No, wisdom are the big principles that we live by, and out of those principles, you can have application in all types of areas of your life. So you have a foundation truth, that's knowledge. Off of that, you have principles that, you, that are based on that knowledge. And then out of that, that's wisdom. And then out of that, you can have understanding in every area of your life. Uh, let me give you an example. If you go to Philippians chapter 2, just, this is just simple, just to kind of illustrate. This is the passage where it talks about Christ. And Paul says, let this mind, verse 5, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. And basically, he obediently went to the cross. And because he willingly went to the cross and was obedient to the Father's will, the Father has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Well, the knowledge is that Christ is humble, that he is a servant, that he is obedient to the Father, and because of that, the Father exalts those, I mean, has exalted the Son who is obedient to his will. Okay, those are all foundational truths. And there's a lot more that you take out of it. But you'd say, well, what is the principle? The principle may, may be this. That God exalts the humble and the obedient. That only one who can, he's the only one who can exalt another person permanently. See, what you get out of that is this. Once Christ accomplished his will on the cross, he, was, he is forever exalted. Now think about this for us. We go through this little dirt ball of time on this earth <laughs> And we, we have to suffer periodically for the Lord. But understand this, that the humble and the obedient will finally, if they're in Christ, will ultimately be exalted by the Father. And it won't just be for a moment of time, it'll be permanently. That's the, per, that's the principle. The application is this, I will faithfully obey and serve and leave my future in God's hand. In other words, I'm not going to look at the present, I'm going to look at the future. That's one of the big things that passage teaches. Be, be a servant, be obedient to what God wants. Don't worry about the present, but concern yourself to the future. Now again, I'm just, I'm just trying to show you, you have knowledge, and off of that comes principles, and out of principles come your daily life and how you live your daily life. Or, I'll give you an, another example. Paul, it says in Colossians verse 1, it says as an, an apostle, So what's the knowledge? What's the foundation? Paul was called by God to be an apostle. Well, let's put that in a principle form. God appoints men to different functionings in his program. In other words, God called Paul to be an apostle, but what has he called you to do? Well, what's the application of that? 
I will devote myself to my, the calling that God has placed on my life and I will be satisfied. <laughs> See, there's foundation. Paul was an apostle. God appointed him. God appoints each person. God has appointed me and I will be satisfied and content and put my whole heart into what God has called me to do. That's the application. So Paul says, you know what? You want your prayers to really be... Uh, refreshed spiritually pray for those you're praying for that they would be filled they would be controlled by the knowledge of his will and they would have wisdom and they would have understanding in other words that that word would be more than just foundational truth it would affect their life it would change them it will transform them that's why the writer of Hebrews says for the word of God is living and active in other words powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword it pierces. It penetrates. Have you, have you been penetrated by the word of God recently? It penetrates. As far as the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and, in, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's, it's a discerner. I, I, I can liken that to like a surgeon. A discerner is someone who is able to go in and determine what the issues are. A surgeon goes in, cuts you, and says, oh, wait a second, you have a real problem with that part of your liver. And it makes a judgment call. Well, here, the word of God even goes deeper than that because it says to the thoughts and the intents, those are the passions and motivations of the heart. The word of God is so powerful, it, it, it goes to the deepest, most inward parts of the human being. And it as one man said, fatally wounds the stubborn. It openly revives the believer. It, it goes into the secret parts and opens, lays bare and says, wait a second, that motivation is incorrect. That thinking is wrong. That, you know, that action is against God's will. And so we pray, but we pray for specific things. I'm going to start praying for the, the two families that I've decided to pray for for this, this year, that they would really be controlled by the, by the knowledge of his will. You know, sometimes you can hear a message and you think you're getting it, but again, are you actually applying? Is, is it actually changing the way that you're living? I was, uh, <laughs> I was reading a story about uh, frontiersmen, and they uh, settled a part of the West, and um, the people were engaged in the lumbering business. The town wanted a church, so they built one and called a minister. The preacher was well received until the day he happened to see some of the parishioners clawing onto the bank some logs that had been floating down the river from another town upstream. Each log was marked with the owner's stamp on the one end. To his great distress, the pastor saw his members pulling in the logs and then sawing off the end where the telltale stamp appeared. The next Sunday, he prepared a forceful sermon on the text, quote, Thou shalt not steal. At the close of the service, his people lined up and congratulated him. Wonderful message. Mighty fine preaching, the people said. However, as the preacher watched the river that week, he saw the parishioners continuing to steal logs. This bothered him greatly. So he went home and worked on another sermon for the following week, the topic of which was, Thou shalt not cut off the end of thy neighbor's logs. <laughs> when he got through, the church members ran him out of town. 
The hardest person to put under the connection or the correction of God's word is yourself at times. So when we say that we need to pray, we need to pray that they would listen to what God is speaking to them on. Now, I spent half the time on that. Now we're going to just very quickly go through the last part. Because these are the results. I want you to understand that. The first and most important is that they would be controlled by the knowledge of his will, that they would have wisdom, and that they would apply it. That's understanding. From there, if they do that, these are the results. Number two, a worthy walk. I need to pray that they will be controlled so they have a worthy walk. So that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Now when you think of walking, you think of consistency. Consistency. Because the end of knowledge is conduct. By the way, you may say, well, what does it mean to have a worthy walk? Thankfully, Paul, in other passages, mentioned the worthy walk and then mentioned what he was referring to. Like in Ephesians 4, 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And he names some things. He says, I want you to walk worthy with all lowliness. That's humility. That's humility. Gentleness. Long-suffering, which is patience. Bearing with one another in love. In other words, bearing, I'm willing to endure <laughs> um, with you. I'm willing to bear some of your burdens. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity, that they would be unified. They would endeavor to keep the unity. <laughs> when you're brought in the body, you are unified in the body, but then there are rebels sometimes and renegades, and we, we, and we have to endeavor to keep the unity because it's already there. So we, we need to pray for that they're humble, they're gentle, they're patient. They bear with one another. They say one of the greatest reasons missionaries come off the field is they can't get along with other missionaries. Bearing with one another in a spirit of uh, unity. And then endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, other passages talk about purity and contentedness and being faithful and having faith. That that's, that's a worthy walk. So again, if I am under the control of the Spirit of God, I'm going to be, he's going to be producing in me a worthy walk. And then number three, a fruitful life. Being fruitful in, in every good work. It's, inter it's, it's interesting that he's, he's saying, I want you fruitful in every, in every. Because what he's getting at there is it goes beyond what we call the religious uh, do you know that in the, in the Christian realm, there is no such thing as a sacred-secular dichotomy? Where, well, this is the sacred. This is church. This is devotions. This is prayer. Yeah, this is family. This is work. And these are, you know, this is baseball game. And, and that's not sacred. Actually, as you are in Christ, everything is sacred. Everything is part of worship. Everything can have, uh, have effect as far as fruitfulness. So he's praying that in every area of their life, they would be fruitful. And that word good, work, is innately good. So in other words, you can pray. And as I pray for you, I would be praying not only that you would walk with God, but even at work, you would be a testimony. That God would put you, allow you to even go through trials, and in the trials, you would be a testimony for his grace. You can pray the same for me. So that we're fruitful. 
John 15 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So we pray for their fruitfulness. And then number four, we pray for a growing theology because it says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, spiritual growth is progressing in, in the knowledge of God. A deeper love for the Lord. What do you mean a knowledge of God? A deeper love for the Lord. A deeper connectedness with Him. Sometimes I think, as, well, I've been a pastor for 20-some years. And in, 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 in the knowledge of God, I might be learning about God, but not having a deeper relationship with God. So pray for me in that area. Pray for your missionary. Pray for yourself in this. A growing theology. A deeper love, a deeper trust, a stronger faith in God. A greater hope in God. A greater enduring confidence in God. See, we talk that God is in control, but that's what got me a few months ago. Six, eight months ago when this election started coming, it's like, do I have faith in God or the system? So pray for a growing theology. And you'll know that you're, 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 uh, you're getting a, gr- a growing theology, uh, a, a closer walk with God. When, when the word of God, that you want to be obedient to it, you have a thirst to get into it. And there's also a greater love for the people of God. So again, a growing theology. It's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to have a relationship and a growing intimacy with God. And you say, well, how can I get that? How can I pray for... Again, obedience. (laughs) He will step you out in faith. Uh, One of the things you can pray for me, I've been debating about going to India. It's been on my plate for 12 years. And I finally said, Lord, if you want me to go, I'll go. To see the Simon ministry, to do some preaching there and, and be a blessing to them. I've had to step out. I, that's an uncomfortable part for me. I don't want to go. To be honest with you, I was actually angry last Saturday because the Groveners were here. I even told them this. You were here and you asked me about going to India and I, I'm, I'm so tired of hearing it. <laughs> I was actually angry. Actually, you know what got me out of it? Jonah. I read Jonah. And I looked at it and I thought, you know, look at all the energy that that guy pulled in, poured into his life running away from what God wanted to do. If he would just pour that amount of energy into what God wanted him to do, how much easier. See, what is God calling you to do? It might be dealing with a particular sin. It might be dealing with a particular relationship. It might be something he wants you to do in service. I don't know what he wants. But the point is, if you want to have a, a growing theology, be obedient. Because that shows love. If you love me, What? You'll keep my commandments. And then, and these kind of grow off each other. You're fruitful, you're growing in your knowledge of God. Look at the last two. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. That's a continuous strengthening. The word strengthen and might are from the same word dunamis. We get dynamite. Power. Actually, the last word power is not dunamis. It's kratos. kratos. But the point is, is power. <laughs> And it's continuous power that they would continually be strengthened. One guy said, God is not like a booster rocket giving believers an initial boost of power and then leaving them to fly on their own. It's consistent if we will but yield to his Holy Spirit. We find that the power comes through the Holy Spirit, even in Acts chapter 1. 
but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's where we get the power. And over and over and over again in Scripture, we find that the power is knowing God's Word and then submitting to His Spirit. So that's what you pray for your missionaries. Lord, I pray that they will not just be doing ministry for ministry's sake, but they will truly know that without you, they can do nothing. And then if they have the power, look at the final result. A joyful endurance in trials. All patience, all long-suffering. If there's a division with these two words, the word patient refers to circumstance. The word long-suffering refers to people. That's the same word that you find in 1 Corinthians 13.4. Love is patient. That's the word. So you have these two things, that they would be strengthened in their circumstance and there would be strength in it with the people that they have to deal with the trials that are associated with people the trials that are associated with the circumstance see as i get to know god's person his promises his purpose as i'm i'm empowered by his spirit now trials come either because of circumstance or because of people but i'm able to endure and notice what it is i endure what <laughs> it makes me so angry but i'm not going to punch him no, joyfully, <laughs> joyfully, with joy. See, it's, it's seeing, I mean, it's like Paul in prison, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They had a, do you see the fruit? Do you see the, the, the uh, focus of Paul and Silas in prison? And yet they were singing, they were joyful. Why? Because they saw God working. So again, it's not, it's not just enduring, gritting your teeth, stoic, I'm going to get through this trial. It's, Lord, I see you. Because, see, the other things have been happening in their life. They had that controlling knowledge. They had that worthy walk, and they were humble. They were fruitful. They were growing in their intimacy with God. They were continually being strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, when the trial came they're able to endure it joyfully. So that's what we need to pray. You want to have new air into your spiritual lungs of prayer. I, I would say, let's pray biblically. Even if someone asks you for a physical need, draw it right back to what the Scripture says. Thankfully, it's right laid out real easy. You can go to Philippians 1, 9 through 11. You can go to Colossians. There's a lot of biblical prayers. I'm just giving you one. But praying is still hard at times. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to think that you're going to walk away and say, oh, now it's going to be easy. In fact, there is a very, very famous uh, expositor pastor named Sidlow Baxter, and this is how he explained his prayer life. He kind of gave us a window into his soul. And I, I think I shared this a couple years ago, but I think it's worth going back through because this will probably be how you're going to Start out when it comes to prayer. Now, again, know that your heart is made up of three components. The emotion, the intellect, and the will. The inner man is made up of the emotions, the feelings, the intellect, I know what I should do, and the will, the volition to do it, okay? And here, we're talking about two of those elements with a third one added on. When I use the word will, I'm talking about that. The will, the volition to do something. Have you ever gone out of the service saying, yes, I must? And then within a few days, you've kind of dropped off the cliff again. All right, so Dr. Baxter said this. Quote, 
And this is quite lengthy, so just kind of try to follow along. As never before, my will, again, emotion, intellect, and will, my will and I stood face to face. I asked my will the straight question, Will, are you ready for an hour of prayer? Will answered, here I am, and I'm quite ready if you are. So Will and I linked arms and turned to go for our time of prayer. At once, all the emotions began pulling the other way in protest. We're not coming! I saw Will stagger just a bit, so I asked, Can you stick it out, Will? And Will replied, Yes, if you can. So Will went, and we got down to praying, dragging those defying emotions with us. It was a struggle all the way through. At, that, at one point, when Will and I were in the middle of an earnest intercession, I suddenly found one of those traitorous emotions had snared my imagination and had run off to the golf course. And it was all I could do to drag that wicked rascal back. A bit, a bit later, I found another of the emotions had sneaked away with some off-guard thoughts. And I was in the pulpit two days ahead of schedule, preaching a sermon that I had not yet even finished. At the end of the hour, if you had asked me, have you had a good time? I would have replied, no. It has been an exhausting struggle with contrary emotions and absentee imagination from beginning to end. What is more, the battle with the emotions continued for between two and three weeks. And if you had asked me at, at the end of that period, have you had a good time? In your daily praying, I would have had to confess, no. At times it has seemed as though the heavens were brass and God too distant to hear and the Lord Jesus strangely aloof in prayer accomplishing nothing. Yet something was happening. For one thing, Will and I really taught the emotions that we were, we were completely independent of them. Also, one morning after two weeks, after the contest began, just when Will and I were going for another time of prayer, I overheard one of the emotions whisper to the other, Come on, guys. It's no use wasting any more time resisting. They'll, just, they'll do it just the same. That morning, for the first time, even though emotions were still suddenly uh, uncooperative, they were at least quiet, which allowed Will and me to get on with prayer undistractedly. Then another couple of weeks later, what do you think happened? During one of our prayer times, when Will and I were no more thinking of emotions than the man in the moon, the one, one of the most vigorous of the emotions unexpectedly sprang up and shouted, Hallelujah! At which the other one exclaimed, Amen! And for the first time, the whole of my being, the intellect, the will, and the emotions, was united in one coordinated prayer operation. All at once, God was real. Heaven was open. The Lord Jesus was brilliantly present, present. The Holy Spirit was indeed moving through my longings, and prayer was surprisingly vital. Moreover, in that instant, there came a sudden realization that heaven had been watching and listening all the way through those days of struggle against chilling moods and mutinous emotions. Also, that I had been undergoing necessary tutoring by my heavenly teacher, end quote. You ever feel like that? That struggle? I want to, but praying and your mind goes off to the golf course or off to your work or off to fixing the car. Now, it'd be a struggle to drag the emotions along, but the question is, 
Are you convinced that you should? That's the intellect. And then determine that you will. By the way, he says an hour. I would say this. How about 20 minutes? How about 20 minutes? I remember when I started for 20 minutes, I would be looking at the clock. I had to force myself, don't look at the clock. But again, are you willing to do that? See, you may walk away with three things going on today. One is, grab a card, fill it out for a person to pray for. Two, grab the slip and fill it out and leave it right in the box as far as faith promised. But the third decision, commitment, I hope you make is, you know what, Lord? I want to commit myself to pray. Pray biblical prayers for myself and for others. Will you do that? You want to see the power of God in your life? You've got to commit to it. Just know there'll be a struggle. There'll be a struggle. I think it was, um, I think it was uh, Frank. I think I heard him use this quote, but I wanted to end with this. Prayer does not equip us for greater work. Prayer is the greater work. So we need to pray. We talk about prayer. We study about prayer. Hopefully you're praying. Let's, let's stand as we close. And there is no song today, so we're just going to close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are our Father, that you are high and lifted up, that you are great, that we stand in the righteousness of Christ, that we do not have to earn our salvation, we don't have to earn your approval, because Jesus Christ has already purchased that for us, that we stand in his righteousness. And yet, Lord, we do want to be pleasing to you. We want to see your power in our lives and those around us that are believers. Lord, help us to be willing to sacrifice, whether it's our finances, but also our time. And Lord, may we be what we call prayer warriors. May we disregard our feelings and our emotions. May we stay focused on what you call us to do. Be able to say as Paul, I pray always for you. Lord, help us to make these commitments before you. Not, we're not making them before each other. Lord, we want to make them before you. We want to be all that you call us to be so that we would truly honor and glorify you. So we ask for your direction and also your strength to accomplish your will in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.